Welcome to TA1, everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, and happy birthday, America. And to all my British listeners, six, eight, ten of you, um, sorry. I guess it's only fitting that we have another colony resident on this uh, 4th of July show. Have the, uh, oh, chili dog just leaving. Apparently she's just found a better offer. Um, Crazy birds are outside with Paulette. The uh, ghost wife is home after two months. She had a good time uh, working in Washington uh, State, not D.C., and probably going to go back. So disrupts our routine a little bit, but... Um, I guess it's kind of worth it. About, what are we now, 38 days to uh, Cameco Cowboy Tough Adventure Race World Championship. Things are heating up a little bit. Um, I got a bike box that I can go in to loan out. Well, actually, it's Paulette's bike box, and she said that we could loan it. So to our friend uh, Dave Ashley... Um, go back a few few uh, months and you can check out that podcast and he's a good guy so hey, at least we can do is loan him a bike box that's been sitting in the garage for who knows how many years and um, that's it this is this is a very unique episode here um, we have a Kiwi Adventure Racer that's pretty good how many times has that ever happened on this show so let's uh, get it on. And it's kind of a two-parter. Same person, two parts. So I guess you'll just have to listen to understand what the hell I'm talking about. And then nobody can understand what I'm talking about anyway. So don't worry about it. Just enjoy it and uh, go fast, take chances, you know, light like some small fireworks in your hands. Not not a big one, just some small ones, just some stingers. So, um, so thanks for listening, um, and we will see you next week. Bye. Oops. Hey, hi. I turned my I turned my vi- How are you? I turned my uh, video off. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry, I don't know uh, what was going on there. I kept on trying to get a call, but I kept on... Well, yeah, and then yeah. I just... Let's see, make sure everything's working. Yeah. I just happened to be talking to my wife, who's been out of town for two months, so I had to hang up on her. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry about That's that. all right, I told her well, I told her we could talk till you called, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm just, we're picking up the kids from kindy, so, and that we're, sort of, we're sort of heading south today, but uh, I thought I'll give you a bell anyway and and have a quick chat. Yeah, otherwise, if it, if it doesn't work, I can always call a bit later if it works better if the kids are in, once the kids are in. Oh, the they, should be, they should be fine. Are they good kids? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yep, yep. So they're excited and we're away on holiday for the weekend, so they're excited about oh, that. Cool. Yeah. Where are you going to? Yeah. Uh, we go to River. We're going to Riverton. It's a friend's fortieth birthday, so we're heading down to Riverton, which is right down by Invercargill on the bottom south coast. Hmm. Well, that sounds that sounds like fun. Just a weekend thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, a few people, and we get, there's a velodrome down there, and there's, I've got the surf ski and the, the, the roadie on, so it should be fun. Oh, yeah. Pretty cool. Um, so we should probably uh, introduce yourself. Tell, tell everybody who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, Bob McLaughlin, I'm, uh, I've had quite a career. I mean, I, I, I guess I spent a lot of my childhood growing up uh, in North Canterbury, Oxford, which is um, which is up near Christchurch in the South Island, and uh, spent a lot of time around Arthur's Pass and whatnot, tramping and hiking and kayaking and stuff as a kid. And um, and then I, I've, I've been for about... Uh, Oh, probably over 20 years, 25 years, um, I was sort of adventure guiding, doing whitewater raft guiding and trek guiding and mountain bike guiding and sea kayak guiding, whatever else you could squeeze in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, and and in amongst that, I always I always did quite a bit of uh, other sports and stuff. And you know, wherever I was living, obviously with those jobs, you you live in some pretty amazing places, and and you can get uh, to to some amazing. Um, you know, mountain areas, or, or you know, if you're in Africa or something, it's obviously more rivers and desert. So, so wherever I was, I made the most of it and got out and did things. And um, and then it wasn't until about I I sort of met Cat in about oh probably ten years ago. So that's yeah. And and um, and then I moved down to Wanaka, and that's when I sort of got back into multi sport from a from a, a little snip of it. You know, when I was about nineteen or twenty, so I got back into multi sport, and and, uh, and that's led me back into adventure racing, and I still compete in numerous other things, uh, you know, rafting and outrigger canoeing and and uh, kayaking and things as well. But uh, yeah, so into into that multi sport and adventure racing scene because uh, I moved to Wanaka, and um, and here in Wanaka, there's you know so many amazing people that all do that sort of thing so it's easy to click in with uh people to do so, things with well that's cool that's a that's a hell of a career so far so so i've got questions now we may never even get to adventure racing so <laughs> yep. um who's who's your worst person you ever had to guide <laughs> um i i don't remember uh, we don't need a name but yeah <laughs> yeah yes Probably, probably for me, it's uh, an Italian bloke that just could not be bothered. He might as well have just sat in the raft because he was just, you know, I don't mind people not being very good at things, but um, I like them to be able to try. And this guy, he was, yeah, he was one of those guys. He might as well just be a spare part sitting in the corner because uh, he wasn't much much use to me in the raft and uh and he wasn't much of a personality to boot so <laughs> <laughs> that was that would have been the first worst client yeah. i had yeah what do you how do you how do you deal with somebody like that do you do you try to engage him or do you just finally just kind of give up oh I, you, normally they're like yeah you're always trying to engage people that's part of your job you're trying to be a professional so you try and engage them try and uh manage them and often um, try and involve them and, and uh, give them a role in the raft but this guy so sometimes you'll put someone like that up the front and I, I gave him an option up the front but then he of course upset the rest of the raft and and it ended up being a bit of a uh, 
a culmination of the people in the raft ended up kicking him out of his seat as well as me <laughs> wanting to get out of there. So, so that's the way it works. So, yeah. Well, you know, they can't all be perfect. Um, all right. So, what's the best tip you ever got from guiding? Oh, I've had I've had some pretty handy tips actually. So probably, um, oh, from from day trip from from we used to do mostly multi day trips over there and and uh, oh the best tip the best tip was probably to be a good <laughs> but uh, but it, that that was definitely a handy one. I talked to people and they were like, yeah, spend less time working and more time with your family was their tip, but. But uh, in money wise, probably um, yeah, I definitely used to get a couple of grand in a week sometimes. So that's a good living, most of the time. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a great living and a great lifestyle, especially for a single bloke that's travelling around and and uh, you know you got not too much other responsibilities in life, so you can just go season to season. You know, from from the states, I'd go to Africa or Nepal or or uh, South America or something and do a season and then back home. So, yeah, well, that's pretty. I'm, I, I, I would say I'm sort of jealous, but I, I know when I was younger, I had a couple of chances to do weird things like that, and I didn't. All I wanted to do was ride my bike, so yeah. I won't say I'm jealous. But, um, where, when you were guiding, where was? How do I want to? I, I don't want to say like the. Yeah, where is the scariest place you ever had to guide? You're just real sketchy. Um, I would, as far as the white water goes, I actually have to say um, the west coast of New Zealand. We we used to do trips um, where we'd do helicopter flying hmm. river trips, and uh, the only access is to fly into the wilderness in a helicopter, and then once they're gone, you're left in there on your own. And and um, a lot of our clients would come back year after year. And so we'd start pushing the limits each year. We'd take them to something a bit more remote and a bit more sort of uh, pushy. And, and then we ended up doing a river that's, uh, I don't think, ever been done commercially since and never before, that's for sure. And uh, it was definitely pushing the limits of uh, commercial rafting. We had had one flip. Well, I had one flip. And, uh, and we had a few people fall out down there. But it also you just hone yourself and you have to be so sharp um it doesn't really allow any room for error so you know it's it's quite exciting rafting but sort of definitely on the edge of where you're you're glad you're there but sometimes you wish you weren't so and those would would be with like clients that you kind of knew they're you were comfortable with them yeah, yeah, a lot of them had quite a adventure racing, multi-sport kind of background, and so they were all outdoorsy people, and they'd done a lot of a lot of boating, but probably not so aware of all the the river dangers on that sort of a level. So they rely on our expertise, and we rely on their um, trust in us, and and then doing what we ask them to do to get get us yeah. through. Yeah. So when you're all done, finished, packing up, drinking beer, did you did you tell them then how how hard it was? Uh, yeah, we did. We also told them beforehand, um, so to, uh, so they knew what they were in for because we didn't want to go them them going in unexpected. And and uh, this group in particular, they love a they love a hike. So they hike into these rivers from the east coast side over to where we can start rafting. So they meet us there and we fly all their hiking gear out and then fly in all their rafting gear. So 
they'd studied the maps and they knew what we were in for. And we, we'd kayaked it before, so we knew knew the river and knew its dangers, and and uh, and we definitely couldn't do it on high water. But uh, they were still, yeah, they they didn't want to go back to do it again. <laughs> so you know, every time I think I know how. Uh, crazy in a good sense that that kiwis are then i hear somebody yeah they they hike across the country so they can white water down a river so it's like come on what's next <laughs> um sorry it's just a bit broken oh. right now so i was just i was just saying that every time i think i know how how crazy in a good way you guys are then i hear stories about Groups that hike over the mountains so they can whitewater raft on a new river. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can. Oh, sorry, it's breaking up there, but I might just. I'll give you a call tomorrow. Does that? Yeah, let's happen? do that. Yeah, it'll be a little easier for you. So. Yeah. Yeah, that time. works good. Yep. Okay. I'll say three o'clock tomorrow, and I'll give you. Okay. Yep. Yeah. It's, okay. No, enjoy that. enjoy the kids. Oh. You know, be a good parent. Yeah, okay, you. talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. And through the magic of editing, it's tomorrow. Wait, four weeks ago. Anyway, here's part two. Now do you hear me? Yep, oh. yep, I've got you. Now, hey, it's working, yay. <laughs> it's going good? Yeah. <laughs> so There we go. Yeah. I'm just uh, trying to get some volume here. Oh, well, it's... Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. It's just, it's just a bit faint, but I might try and put it on speakerphone or something. Okay. Uh, I don't know how. Yep. That's all good. Oh, good. So, uh, good morning. <laughs> good morning. How are you? <laughs> well, good. It's not morning here, but uh, you're... Uh, I like you. You're right on time. Oh, it's just five minutes late because... Um, We've got America's Cup on at the moment, so I was having a quick look at the America's yeah. Cup. So how's it how's it going? Are you are you beating us yet? Oh, they are doing quite well actually. The Kiwis, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I watched a little bit of it. Those are some uh, interesting boats, and I use boats in quotation marks, right? Yeah, like a plane sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, for I got I got a stupid. Stupid American question. You can answer. Yep. Do you have Father's Day in New Zealand? Because it's Father's Day here. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Okay. Was it? I don't know when it is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, now I learned something. We just don't know what it is. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I should know, but um, dates and things aren't aren't really. Cat usually knows all the differences there, and not so much me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, um. Okay. I suppose we should talk about adventure racing, huh? Oh yeah, well, yeah, we can. Yeah, yeah, anything's good. So um, happy to chat. I don't know. I I was fascinated by uh, you being a guide. I think that was pretty. That's pretty cool. So, um, so you did some multi sports like everybody in New Zealand when you were younger. But why? Um, why did you kind of get back then into into adventure racing? 
Well, it was really because I was um, I got back into adventure racing back in. I moved from an area up in Nelson, which is sort of where Nathan and that that sort of crew live, and I was doing outrigging up there, outrigger canoe racing, and, and internationally. And then I moved down to Wanaka, um, which is obviously in the heart of the Southern Alps down here in the sea, the long way away, and most outrigger canoe racing's a long way away. So I I actually got a bit. It was just a bit hard travel all the time for mm. outrigger racing so I was just doing a bit more kayak paddling and and uh and then got asked into um into a few well stage racing really in china with some with some friends ah. and um and managed to to go over there a few times with them uh racing and then and then from there it led into the adventure racing but you know it's hard to say no sometimes when you get an offer to to race in uh, in some pretty amazing country yeah it is What's the 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 big um, attraction to the stage racing in China? I mean, it's huge. I mean, not not for anybody in the United States, but you guys are always there all the time. What? Yeah, I think it's um it's the fact that it's kind of well half paid for. I mean, they pay they basically pay your flight, yeah. and then um and then you get to have some really good racing, and it's quite a good cultural experience. You go over there and. And they look after you. They pick you up from the airport and uh, all your gear, and they bus you off to wherever it might be um, for the race. At a and you have a nice hotel and and all the food and whatnot. And then the stage racing is quite social. You know, you you do obviously a really hard day's racing, mm-hmm. and in China it's usually really steep, quite hot, um, and really fast paced. So it's interesting racing, and then and then you get to hang out with people uh, in the interim. You know, at dinner time, you it's always a social occasion as well. So it's it's a lot of fun, but it is very very competitive. Um, and in saying that, there's there's quite good prize money over there. So that's what entices the old Kiwi. If they can earn a few grand over there and then come home, it means you have to work a little less at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so well, that's I mean that's kind of a win win for you guys. Yeah, well, it is, and it's also team racing, which, you know, if you're a multi-sporter or something like that in New Zealand, it's quite a different thing. It's a um, totally different dynamic, learning to race at your optimum speed for the entire team and the entire race. So sometimes it might mean, obviously, you'll have someone that might be stronger in the kayak, and, and then often the female is the, the has the least strength in the kayak. Um, not always, but, and so they'll go in the person in with a person that's really strong, and then you can also draft a little bit in the kayak, and you can tow on the bike and tow on the run. Um, so if someone's feeling a little weak, you can you can help them out. So it's it's real interesting teamwork, and and uh, and that creates quite a good team dynamic. You know, you get really close to people. Um, you, you know emotionally and and uh, physically as well you end up you end up sort of spending a lot of time together and and with your racing you're often you're not always if you're the strongest you're not always the strongest if you're the weakest you're not always the weakest so you have to plan for every eventuation in the race mm-hmm. and it makes for some interesting racing uh, day by day uh, some days you might have one person that's a bit crook and so your whole team slows down a little bit but then the next day you come come right and you're back on top of things and you can you can gain back places so. and um, most of these stage races you can win win each day which is which is prize money in as well as win the entire race which is usually 
somewhere between three and four days. So, so okay, that makes sense for you guys. But what um, I mean is it a spectator sport in China, or why is why is it such a big deal? Yeah, the the reason it's big in China is the the internal tourism market is huge, and um, and this this type of racing is. Uh, the media coverage is really big, so it's internationally televised or and nationally, but it is, does get a little bit of international coverage if you know where to look, but mostly nationally um, televised, and that's what that's the market they're after to see Westerners in an area is kind of in their eyes a little bit of a um, must be a great place to go. Westerners come to go there and race, and uh, and Obviously, they run the races through the most scenic parts of, of the uh, landscape, whether it be navigating through some old Chinese village, you know, historic Chinese village, or um, going through caves, or uh, kayaking down some of the gorges, or rafting, and then and then obviously, you know, the mountain biking up and through the mountains, and and obviously running on some of the and some of the what you'd say is kind of national park areas. Mm-hmm. And that, that gets televised internationally, and, and so it's basically free advertising for them um, of their area. Huh. Yeah, and the internal tourism market is with a billion people is pretty massive. Yeah, well, that's interesting because yeah, I would have never. Well, it's televised, but we don't see it in the U.S. But then, you know, it, it's not reality yeah. TV. So who wants to watch it here? <laughs> So is it like That's Europe right. and the it's, rest it's of... not something people are interested in. If you don't have a relationship with competitors or the race, then it's, it's um, yeah, it's, it's very rarely seen. And uh, probably the only one that might be would be the Adventure Racing World Series race that they have now up in um, up in Altai region. That's, yeah. that's probably the, the only one that gets international coverage. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that's a good way to... to uh segue into that so where do we start let's let's talk about the race it how different was it than like a chinese stage race was the x trail yeah well that's for us the stage racing is um is fast and 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 then it has an end each day and and the designers that the same designers that used to run all the stage races have uh, now Started this um, X Trail race up in northwestern China, Kazakhstan, sort of Russia Mongolia border, mm-hmm. and uh, the most magnificent country. It's very, you know, you'd almost compare it to if anywhere, you know, Canadian glacial lake area with, you know, with the trees and the glacial lakes and rivers, and it's it's very pristine up there. Um, the only people that really live in that area are the Mongolian horse people, you know, the yeah. people that have been there for 20,000 years, sheep herding, and they've got their camels and horses and whatnot, and they just are um, nomadic. You know, they, they go through that area during the summer with their sheep and cattle and whatnot, and then uh, they move out in winter, and it turns into basically a winter wonderland, which is, which is uh, you know, it's the oldest ski culture in the world, I'd imagine. They've got rock, rock art on some of their... Um, Caves and whatnot that go back twenty thousand years of skiing, so it's a it's a very old skiing area as well, which makes it quite interesting. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, for the adventure racing, they they definitely have great terrain and probably uh, don't use it as well as the potential that's there. Uh, they there's there's a lot of tracks that they kind of tend to use, so there wasn't a lot of route choice as such. It was more navigating um, through, and you're often using old stop trails or um, or you know um, you know that the old cultural routes that they use is the best way of travel. Yeah. But in saying that, they also it's a the kayaking is stunning on the lakes and the rivers is is, is pretty special. Um, the maps are what make it probably a little tougher. There's, the maps are from probably the 1940s and the Russian maps, which I'd imagine in that era were probably built fairly quickly um, yeah. with with the with the conflict and whatnot back then. And uh, sometimes there's mountains that aren't there and there's rivers that your past that aren't even on the map that are quite a major tributary so you sort of have to block out some features and and uh take what you can and uh, navigate through that country and that also um means that it's it's sort of sometimes you're a little unsure exactly where you are um you just have to go on the broader picture and the contours are 40 you know 40 meter contours which is it leaves a, a lot of a lot to the imagination, and so it's definitely uh, tough navigation. And a lot of the towns and roads and whatnot that are on the maps, uh, there's been a lot more built since the maps were done. So you're you're a little a little bit of guesswork there as well. Yeah. 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 Well, I suppose I suppose you had to do all the navigating because those other two guys, what do they know about navigation, right? Well, that's right, Chris Vaughan. <laughs> I mean, John. Yeah, it's like he's the guy that's never looked at a map. You probably got to hold yeah. his hand and and drag him along the whole way, right? Yeah, I said I can navigate, and he said, "Oh, and I'll, I'll give it a crack oh. and um, just see how I go." Yeah. So I was like, "Well, if you want if you want to have a go at it, then sure, <laughs> I'll just keep an eye on it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hell of a hell of a teammate. Much with him and Joe. Yeah, it's like I think I saw the saw the cover a couple of times when they were looking at something, but <laughs> that would be about it. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes you feel like you don't know where you are sometimes. Luckily, I went last year and raced the same race last year. And uh, so I had a fair idea of how it all rolls and, and where we were. But yeah. otherwise, I would have probably felt quite lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seemed from from watching in, in some of the coverage that it was kind of the same route as last year. Is it? Yeah, and for me, that's probably what was a little bit disappointing um although i mean they were beautiful areas and we sort of went through them or approached from a slightly different way or something like that but a lot of it was going through the same the same route route through the you know like through to the finish line and then through that first um and and part of that bike ride was was much the same as last year which with the amount of terrain that's there um you're almost would have loved to seen a course that headed off into the hills and had sort of further apart checkpoints with a lot of route choice, mm-hmm. and that would have split people up and changed the timing on the on where everyone ended up. But um, but I think that'll probably grow with their experience uh, in learning how an adventure race is actually run and how to run the course. and And I did talk to the race organisers, and they've got a 
very new course for next year, which goes into a pretty spectacular area. So um, I'm sure they'll change it up a little bit next year. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, it didn't seem like there was any – I mean, it seemed like they got their act together and the race was run well. Did I mean – did did you guys have any problems with the police? I know a few teams had some some uh, interactions. Uh, we were pretty lucky. Probably probably our problems were being more that we're probably slightly faster than they were anticipating. Yeah. So some of the setups, like there was a cultural experience, which was cooking noodles in a noodle house, and um, and we got there, and there was just the, the local Chinese people there. There was no no race authority or no you're supposed to time into the noodle house and have two compulsory hours there and we got there and there was no timer no nothing and we thought oh perhaps so we looked around the town in case we were slightly in the wrong place but we ended up back there and decided to have a feed while we waited and and then finally the you know we talked to them on the yellow brick and they said oh yep no we're we're running a bit late to get there so you'll just have to uh take your own times and and then they were there just as we were back basically ready to check out and, and head away. So, yeah, so little things like that. And um, But generally, we felt like we were, the, the course was great. We did have a slight change later in the course because there had been a lot of flooding. Instead of uh, going a short way through a lowlands, which was now basically a lake or a swamp, um, we ended up doing a big long road route around the outside of an extra 40k's on the bike, mm. and uh, and that was, you know, you just grin and bear it. Yeah. 40k's on the road isn't that exciting, but uh, yeah, and other than that, probably our biggest thing was out in the desert was the bugs were just phenomenal, like as far as being amazingly populated during the day, <laughs> we had um, like a... What you'd, you'd probably call them a midgy or a, or a, a you know a biting flying insect you know that was just it was millions of them and you couldn't slow down as soon as you were below about 21 kilometres an hour we figured it was when you started getting eaten alive so you had to travel pretty quick and then uh, and we thought they'll go away when it turns to night time and we started on that trek and right when it was sort of heading dark. The, uh, the those midges went away, but they were replaced by an abundance of mosquitoes, which were even more aggressive. So yeah, there was no let up the whole night, and uh, probably that's where the difference in the course. You know, if you were there, there was a wind that kicked up, which is what stopped a lot of people being able to do the kayak, yeah. um, which was the next leg back down to your bike, and um, but that also meant all those flying insects were gone which so it was pretty amazing for those people they were out in the desert and there was no insects um but then they probably had we had a windy ride but they probably they copped a little bit of rain as well which in that rain can turn quite muddy and quite nasty too so we missed out on the rain and the and the mud where the dust and the sand and and the wind so yeah everyone had a quite a different experience it doesn't matter when you finished yeah well you you just never know what's what's going to show up anywhere in a race. No, you don't. No, you, and you know having different sections in the daytime or nighttime can be quite a different you know time factor. The last stretch that we went through, the last part of the bike going up through a sort of a hiker bike gorge, mm-hmm. and um, and we did that in the pouring rain, sort of snow last year at night, and it was freezing and it was 
you're just looking down into these big crevasses that look like they went on forever, and it was all quite, you know, exciting and quite um, scary, and, and it was slippery and muddy and miserable, and then this year, for us, it was dry and daytime, so it was a breeze getting through there, <laughs> so yeah, quite a different experience depending on what time of day or night you're somewhere. Yeah, or year. Um, how, stepping back a little bit, how did you end up with uh, Team Seagate for this race? Well, um, it's, I've been racing and adventure racing for a, a number of years now and, and and racing mostly in New Zealand, but um, I've done the odd international race and, and always been with a, a reasonable team and uh, had, had some good opportunities, but I've also raced um, a lot with Joe, who was in the team, mm-hmm. yeah. and I've raced quite a, a bit with Nathan, you know, in different different sports. Yeah, and so kind of Nathan recommended me as a as a person that could be well, probably my age. I'm slightly older than Nathan as well, so it wasn't like he was replacing me with a a younger, more agile member. But um, but I guess a bit of grit and determination, and then you know, pretty good skills all round was and he thought I'd fit in uh, with the team uh, well as far as you know personality and, and no clashing and, and just getting on with the job so yeah so it was a privilege yeah. for me to be asked um, into the team and I also knew that you know Nathan Nathan retiring is a pretty much impossible position for anyone to fill mm-hmm. it's, he's a amazing athlete that's done hugely well and his leadership skills in the team are something that's probably quite evident as well throughout the history of the team so the leadership and, the, and his physical ability and then his you know his his uh, experience and how to race a race and how to keep um, keep racing the race even when your chips are down uh, so I didn't expect to come in and replace a bloke like that but to come in and it feels like quite a different team you know we've, we've developed a different team dynamics than there was and uh, and so that's why over in China was to uh, before going off to Wyoming so um, see you're not really taking Nathan's place but you're you're coming in and you've got to be a pretty important cog in that machine it it seems like it worked do you feel like it worked yeah 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 it worked worked quite well and i learned a little bit because my my role is definitely different than it has been in other teams so so with with having the likes of chris and skew being um being pretty much and always has been sort of lead Lead the nav from the front, yeah. and their and their abilities on the bike and trekking are also, you know, they're great, great athletes and strong, and and uh, got good minds and when to preserve. You know, if it's hot and you haven't got much water, then preserve yourself and then go faster at night and and just look after your look after your body and look after your team. And I guess that's where Nathan gave me the heads up and my kind of role and that and that team is more um, being someone that can. Keep an eye on how things are rolling. Give give an opinion where needed, you know, and and also um, help make sure Joe's not having to work too hard to 
to stay with the crew, and, and that's where I'm pretty lucky, as Joe's a phenomenal athlete in her own right and, and super tough. Mm. So, um, and she's good all round, like she's a great paddler and good, good strong biker and a great hiker. So, so yeah, it sort of works well. And, I, and my job is just to make it feel like she's not at the back and not sort of dragging the chain at all. Yeah. Yeah. So, tell me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is, is um, you guys, n- nobody's going to replace Nathan. That should give him a big head. But you're so you're kind of all splitting up his role a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, that was always going to be how how it unfolds, and so obviously there's a lot that goes on off off the course as well, mm-hmm. you know, to keep a team like that running. So what what we're doing in the in our spare time, and so I've kind of been designated a little bit the the the, the communicating captain's role of just um, you know keeping looking into a bit of sponsorship and and keeping a few things rolling there and, and that's on the back of Nathan too he's helping out a lot with that yeah. and then just communicating amongst the others and, and then Stu's kind of team captain on course mm-hmm. he's uh, he you know has obviously done the registration and, and sorted out uh, and, and just communicates on course a little bit um, and, the, and then Chris who's obviously the amazing navigator and, and uh, amazing athlete but he's probably not so sharp on the communication and those skills aren't his forte yeah. you know he's amazing at a lot of things and so he he's quite happy just to um just to get emails sent his way and and follow through with things and then joe's joe's always just stable and and uh does a great job of everything and she's done a lot of organizing for china because we were all quite busy with work so she did a lot of the the pre-organising for China, so yeah, it's just we just make it work what how we can. We've all got jobs and whatnot to try and fit it, fit around with with the training and with the adventure racing. So um, it's it's just that juggle yeah. that we that we manage basically to make it all work and keep us kind of all on track, heading for the same goal. So, so it, it's the nineteen twenty seven Yankees for in the U.S. It's just like. You guys just keep finding people to to plug in, and, and you know it's oh well, this yeah. person can't do it. Oh, here's another one that's damn near as good. Yeah, well, I think we're quite lucky in New Zealand. I mean, you, I think the difference. I mean, you get people grow up here um, with all those skills, and I remember um, talking to a friend in the states about it, and they were like, they came out here and they just couldn't believe that just Joe Blow average will go on a mission we call it you, you know where you're, where you're like right let's let's cross cross New Zealand for the weekend let's do something you know we'll start off with a with a bike from the sea and, and then we'll hike up through the mountains and then we'll get some kayaks flowing in and we'll in a helicopter or something and then we'll raft out that other side and then uh, and then we'll bike back out to the sea and get someone to pick us up and that's just sort of a weekend away Yeah, and so that, you know, you have, everyone sort of has all those basic skills, and and a lot of it's just that skills of walking in rivers and and you know riverbeds, rocky, uneven terrain, and getting through the bush and navigating. And so most people have the basic skills for for adventure racing. 
um, whether it be from their background of just adventuring or, or pig hunting or deer hunting and all those things that we all seem to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of one, one more thing here on, on joining the team. Did, did you feel like the new guy for a little bit or were you immediately just like, yeah, this is, this is home? Yeah, well, I, for me, it was not not feeling like the new guy so much because you know those guys and you sort of slot in with them. Yeah. But just for your role, it's I, I guess I kind of stand back for the first bit and just talk to them about what my, my role and figure out what my role is. And then that role solidifies as I move on, I think. So now I know kind of where I'm best um, and... And I know where I'm in the way, mm. and so my so yeah, I think definitely I feel more comfortable in the team than you know when you first start out on the first ride or the first trek, and you're like, do I go to the front or do I just time in and time lap out, or do I just stay at the back? And so you learn where you're best all the time, and and how to how to sort of move in the team without talking. Without you know, without all the communication that goes with it, mm. and that's when a team's moving really well. You often you just know when someone's going to need you to help them grab something out of a backpack, and you know when um, when to do something and when you don't need to do it to help out. And so I feel like after one race, um, our teams gelled really well like that, and people can do things just naturally without having to ask or or check or um, yeah, so I think that was the big, the big thing in China for me was was uh, you know falling into a role and knowing what that role is and then being able to do that role unquestionably, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things. If you take the top three, four, five teams in the world, you guys roll into a transition area and and you don't talk to anybody. You just you roll in, you get it done, and five minutes later you're leaving. And I, I that's a that's a really huge uh, thing to learn and to be able to do that after your first race. Um, as they yeah, say, chapeau. And being in time with everyone else, and sometimes that a little bit of communication coming into transition mm-hmm. is way better than communicating in transition because. I find that, especially later in the race, if you're communicating a lot in transition, um, you're disrupting someone else's thought train. And, and often, you know, you have a system on how you do things and you have a thought pattern. And it's, when it's interrupted, sometimes it's hard to sort of reel back around to thinking straight along the lines of what you were. Yeah. And so I think that, um, yeah, so... L- the, the required, like if someone's finished a little earlier, they might go and help someone out get their water and, and help the team sort of thing, but get your job done first and then and then look up and see where everyone else is at and then you might be of assistance or you might be slightly behind and might be able to ask for assistance. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, if you're all doing things in the same order roughly, then you can look up and see where everyone else is at as well and that's quite a discipline in its own. Um, if everyone's, if one person's getting changed while the other person's putting their bike together and then getting changed, you can look up and you're not quite sure where they're at. So we try and do stuff roughly in the same order, and that way you can look up and see where they're at and know where you're at in relation to that. And and uh, and if you've got similar gear, then you know you know 
what exactly what you're taking and it's all organised in the bin so you're not rifling through everyone else's gear and yeah, yeah. that makes it a lot easier. So did did you talk with the team before that? I mean, like, to the specific of like, okay, do we build bikes first? Do we change first? Or uh, did it just kind of so happen? With this team, seen I'm fitting in with them, I just go into transition. I do what I'd usually do. Like, you take your backpack off. Usually you have to take your bib off if you're changing clothes. And it's up to you whether you, you know, like everyone has a different thing, like, when they change shorts, you yeah. know, like if you've been on a bike, you're not going to change shorts to jump into a kayak type thing. But if you've been out biking and you're going to do a big trek, you obviously have to change those shorts. So you know that what everyone's roughly going to be doing, but not everyone's always doing the same thing. Okay. So for me, I didn't know exactly what people's role was or, or what the what their routine is, but I did know if I, I could look up and see that they're um, doing their bike first, then I would do what I'm doing and then do my bike first and then finish doing what what doing it in the order that they're doing so I know where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So. But also the the crucial thing is, you know, getting rid of your last your last leg gear while you're thinking about it. If you've got any leftover food or any extra things that you don't need to take on the next leg, then ditch that and replace it with the with the other things while your mind's fresh. And often that helps you. Then your your bag's already ready to go, yeah. and um, and then all you got to do is get your gear ready, and then you just pick up your bag on with your bib and pick up your bag and gone. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think we all work in a roughly the same way. And all those top teams, everyone knows their roles and 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 does them fairly efficiently. Yeah, that's it's it, it it's kind of like on the other side in the media side when you're watching you guys, it's like. I don't think I'll ask him any questions right now, because <laughs> because you just it, it it's not a you're not going to bite anybody's head off, but you can kind of see you're just focused, and it's it, for me specifically. Yeah. yeah, I'd rather just wait. You know, I can tell when you're kind of ready to maybe roll out, and then it'd be you might have a chance to talk. But it, yeah, well, often once you've done the mental things, like you know, making sure you've got all your things out of your bag and all your other things into your bag when you're putting a bike together or something yeah. you can you can talk while you do it quite yeah. easily but um, I do know that I remember Nathan in his earlier days of being captain and, and he you know would have a, a yellow brick or something and, and, and a race bib and, and then the media would get and he would get distracted about what he had done and hadn't done mm-hmm. and then I remember once he did forget the yellow brick and things and just something that you wouldn't do normally but once the media gets via you um, and you want obviously wanting to have a chat but then it disrupts your train of thought yeah. and and maybe even you know the media amongst your gear is probably the hardest thing it's, it's alright if they're just off the side but if they're between you and your gear it's kind of like yeah. being between a walrus and the and the beach you know you, you can be you're in a bad spot really <laughs> so it's just a matter of where you stand as well as if you're just slightly outside of the ring of where everything happens it's easier to keep your routine going while you talk. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, yeah. It's like, we'll just stand off a little bit and then, uh, you know, throw out a question. If anybody answers, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and everyone wants to have a chat with you. Yeah. yeah. And it's always good for a laugh. Anyway, it breaks <laughs> up the monotony of racing. That's true. I always tell people, I used to think people liked me when they saw me on the course, and then I just realized it's because they knew they weren't lost. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. We must be in the right place. Yeah. There's the media there. Yeah. yeah. 
How do yeah, you? That's right. Yeah. No, the media is a great thing. Well, that's what you know. I remember when they when the the uh, eco challenge was on and that sort of thing, and and everyone was like, oh, they're just making the courses harder and less people are finishing them and whatnot. But in the same instance, it's what kept adventure racing alive because the prize money was good and and uh, even though the courses were tougher and tougher and creating drama and all that sort of thing when it was gone everyone was like wow that was a good thing <laughs> yeah there was <laughs> so you've got to have it yep one adventure racing won't keep going without um media and coverage yeah the the number of people that i've talked to that that said yeah i got into adventure racing because i saw eco challenge or primal quest or ray galois is staggering yeah yeah it is yeah yeah and even as a challenge like i think adventure racing now is You've got those the competitive teams at the top end of the field, but you've got such depth in the field, um, and a lot of those people are just, you know, have a goers that can't help but come back next year to improve on what they did last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's a it's a great depth in the field, and it's what makes adventure racing interesting. I think, especially for organisers, where you've got to design a course that's tough enough and challenging enough for the top teams, but it's not too hard that you know you want to you know ideally at least 60 percent of the teams to finish a race um and so the you don't get too much of a dropout rate otherwise people that you know the all those entrants that you get at the tail end are uh, not going to keep coming back and that's where the money is to keep it running i guess yeah that's yeah that's your that's who's paying for this race yes so i i have a specific question how yep. how do you know how much food to take on a particular leg? Well, they have obviously estimated times mm-hmm. and and distances um, when you start, and that's what's great now. Is I think in the past they didn't used to let you know your rough legs before you travelled, yeah. and. So you obviously need different food when you're in a kayak leg than you do if you're in a hike leg or a bike leg. So it was always hard to know what food to take over. But now that, that most races let you know in advance how much kayaking, how much hiking and how much biking there is, it makes it a lot easier to organise your food. And um, it is always a, a debate on what you take uh, because your tastes change during the race. Mm. So um, to know what, not just the amount to take, but also what to take that you'll keep eating. And usually you end up with something that you just haven't been able to stomach that well. Or or in a real dry race like China, we found that it was harder to eat a lot of dry food. So you wanted something that was um, a bit more manageable in your mouth. So um, we, we use... We use a lot of what you know, freeze-dried type meals and things like that for trekking, so that you actually get real food and um, and, and the moisture and whatnot is is great. Yeah. And then uh, and obviously snacks and stuff for that as well. But then in the kayaking, it tends to be as much liquid food as you can get, and because um, it's harder to eat while you're paddling. And then also just some quick snacks you can grab out of your pocket. Yeah. Um, but the, like you were asking, you know. It's, difficult to know exactly how much so usually if you take extra take light extra not heavy extra and then most people take too much because their biggest fear is running out of food or water and uh and that's a valid fear but uh and you sometimes you know if you're a team that gets a bit lost and spends a bit longer out there it's 
you definitely need to have food to, for the for the length of time you're out there. But uh, you also you don't want to be carrying an extra kg in your backpack just for the sake of hauling it round and emptying it out at the end. <laughs> and um, and that is one thing where some people will will have their food planned. Like I, I usually do have a look at a, like about a six hour time frame and go, that's how much knit food I'm going to need for six hours, and I put it in the bag, and then for the next six hours, that's how much I'm going to need. And so you, you know roughly for the length you've got the right amount of food, but it's also important to empty out your bag when you get to the next transition and don't go, oh, well, I've got those things in there, I might just need them. And then you chuck in your whole next lot of food, and you have half of your, or you know, a few items from your last lot, and then you've got way too much normally that you're just lugging around. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a hard balance to, to perfect, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's that, that's interesting that you, you you dump everything out and start over each leg. And, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's, it's because you have different foods for each leg and or, or you leave something behind that you had packed. But mm-hmm. either way, you've, you've got to be thinking about that coming into transition, what you've got left, check your pockets empty out your rubbish, empty out um, anything that might be no good for the next leg, you know, if you've been paddling and something's got wet that you or, you know, even in, even caving or crossing rivers and stuff, sometimes some food gets wet and it's no good anymore and you want to be able to, you want to ditch that before it gets too, you know you don't want to carry it into the next leg but it's definitely, you can carry too much and most people I would say out of the racing that I've done most people carry more than they need, um, rather than less than they need. Yep. Yeah. Is there one thing for you that you always want to have, or you know it'll always taste good? Um, well, it's funny. <laughs> it's those little treats. Uh, I kind of like a, a bit of jerky. You know, because sometimes the salty foods are quite good. Mm-hmm. You know, a bit of that, a bit of jerky or something to share around amongst the team. You know, like you go right when we get to the top of there, I've got some jerky and you and you share that round and it always tastes good and you chew it and it sort of gets moist and and it tastes great. Or otherwise, um, even some cheese sticks or something like that. If it's a cooler climate, cheese sticks or something like that are great. Um, real cheese, but um, yeah. And then sometimes you might have a bit more of a sweet sweet tooth. And it's funny, I have. A, a biscuit in New Zealand or a cookie called a ginger nut and I kind of like my ginger nuts they gingers always seems to be quite good and and uh, they always seem to go down well or, or the other one we have is cookie time which I we always always love a cookie time which is a cookie with with um, some chocolate and stuff in it <laughs> so, yeah depending on your on your yeah. taste that you're wanting salty or or um, sugary yeah. they're, they're great yeah, yeah. Do you find, and, and this is from from back in the day when I was racing, if you had salty, if if you had salty, you wanted something sweet, and if you had sweet, you wanted something salty. <laughs> yeah, that's often often the way. I mean, it does depend on the time of race and stuff too. But yeah, um, yeah so often even some, you know, little salty crackers or salty chips are, are sometimes quite good because they're no weight really and you, just if you need something salty that's something you can have but yeah you're quite right often it's something you haven't got that you're wanting and mm. so I try and I try and write it down at the end of a race while everything's still fresh the things that I probably wanted that couldn't have 
or the things that um, I had that I didn't really want. And it's not to say that next race I'm going to not want that same thing, but um, it depends on climate sometimes. If it's a cold race, you sometimes feel like more real food. And if it's a hot race, you, you know, in the tropics or something, it can be quite different. You, you, you know, you just can't get enough liquid. And sometimes liquid is another thing you can get sick of. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to have, if I have a bladder, it only ever has water in it, and then my bottles will have other things in to, you know, more concentrated, so I can still drink some water, or I can have electrolytes or or um, a, a meal replacement sort of a drink or something. So yeah, it's uh, never one thing never suits every race. I think that's the key. Yeah, it never does. Um, all right, so I got two more questions, and then. You've probably you've got like a full day in front of you, and, and I want to go for a hike, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this yeah, this is light here now, so I'm just about I'll, I'll get out for a hike. I've got a couple of meetings this morning, but that's I'll, I'll get out and do something today. Yeah. yeah, this this is the most unfair question I can ever I ever ask or can ask is, but do you think do you think you guys can win the world another world championship? <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Winning the world champs. I mean, you always you always go in and prepare as well as you can, obviously, to put yourself in in the the best chance of winning a world championship. And this in adventure racing, it's I always compare it a little bit to motor racing. You know, you've got a team of four, so it, it always the more people you have in a team, the more things that could possibly go wrong. And and um, but. You know, with a team that's so experienced and uh, and and there's a great amount of talent there, I I believe there's, there's you know we're up with as good a chance as anyone of, of winning a world champs. And if everything goes right for for the team, then that's probably enough to to help you win. If some things go wrong, then then uh, it can always be a battle. So we're we're definitely in hopes of going over to win it. That's our that's our goal. And uh, yes, you know, with adventure racing, many things can unfold. So you can only do your best. Yeah. yeah. All right. So this isn't my second question, but follow-up question: Do you like being the quote a quote unquote favorite? Maybe not the favorite, but a favorite for sure. Or is that a lot of pressure? Oh, I don't think the pressure really bothers bothers me too much I mean it helps you with your training it gives you an incentive I think to get out there and 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 be strong and um, I think the there's always once you start racing it's it's always the pressure probably pre-race but once you actually start racing I think you're always only racing your own race yeah and um, and you're trying to manage yourself especially in adventure racing you don't always it's not like you want to be in the front straight off the bat. That's not how you win an adventure race. So you're racing your own race off the bat, and if you happen to be in front, well, that's great. If you happen to be behind, you can still run your own race and manage your sleep depending on what you think is going to work best for your team and when you sleep. And so, so many things that unfold in adventure race that I think once it starts, you're just doing going about your business and not being too distracted by the other teams. Um, but definitely, I think leading into it, uh, it's it's uh, more. It gives you a good challenge, knowing that you probably are one of the favourites, and and that you're going to have to perform 
to that level. And, and for me, it's probably for the people that have been before in Seagate that have also made such an amazing effort and and have been, you know, champions and and whatnot. So you're sort of in a legacy a little bit. Yeah. So you're trying to live up to that legacy, yeah. Yeah. So that's a... That's a fair answer. I like that. Thanks. All right. Here's the last question, and it's a yes or no. So it should be real simple. Do you have a really embarrassing story about Nathan that you can tell me in when you get to Wyoming? Oh, I'm sure I can think of something. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'll just have to think of something that I can tell. Yeah. Well, it, it's just yeah. it'll it's just for me. <laughs> So. Oh yeah, personal story. Yeah, I'm sure I can share something. Okay, <laughs> that, that we'll we'll make that yeah. a date. So. Yeah, we we all have our moments, don't we? Yes, we do. So, um, <laughs> so. well, thanks. I, um, even we made this a two parter. Worked out good. No, no problems at all. No, I look forward to it. Yeah. So, well, cool. Well, yep. I'll, yep. I always tell everybody to go fast, take chances, and go for a hike. Bob and I are just not together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that. We're off for a hike. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. No, enjoy your hike. Where, whereabouts are you? Um, I'm in uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota, so western South Dakota. Oh, yeah, yep. So I'm actually only yep. three hours from Casper. So. Uh, oh, yeah. This is. Yeah. Oh, I actually did a little bit of work up there. Yeah. Um, I was working actually out in Colorado for a guy. Um, Paul Jones, who owns the Dow Jones, and I was looking doing some fencing for him out there, and and uh, and then we went up and did a bit of fencing for a for a guy um, who is a bit of a movie sort of person. He's got a big station out there, a big ranch out there. Oh. We did a bit of fencing for him. So yeah, so you're sort of yeah. familiar so with the area. Yeah, yeah, great area. Yeah, so. especially in summer now. <laughs> yes, it is. Although it's like. Yeah, sixty-five degrees today. It kind of cooled off, but it'll be nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks oh, for the no, chat. Very good. Well, I appreciate the call and look, and it was great chatting with you. So, we will uh, see you in about like fifty-five days or something like that. It's getting close. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's not far away, is it? It so is. Look forward to it. So. All right. Thanks. Okay. All right. Bye. Thanks very much. Enjoy your day. I will.
Vamos.